Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Podcasting Network. Uh, I am Tom Reed, uh, joined today by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, and we are going to dedicate a large chunk of our show uh, to the fifth year anniversary of the Penguins 2016 Cup. I think that this year a lot of uh, focus has been on the 30-year uh, anniversary of the first Stanley Cup in 1991, and rightly so. Uh, but uh, when you win as many cups as, as the, the Penguins do, anniversaries uh, come thick and fast. And uh, this is a, a uh, fifth-year anniversary edition. Uh, we are going to get to some other, other stuff before we get to that, but our second and third segment will be completely uh, dedicated uh, to the 2016 Cup run. And we will have a special guest, and that will be Jim Rutherford, the architect of that Stanley Cup. But, gang, uh, before we get into that, um, uh, there is a the awards week, awards weeks continues uh, in the NHL for regular season awards. Uh, in the past couple days, uh, both the Hart and Selkie finalists were revealed, and in neither case uh, was Sidney Crosby uh, named as a finalist for either one. Any surprise there to either one of you guys? Taylor, we'll start with you. Uh, I mean, I, I think we, we kind of expect Crosby to be a Selkie finalist every year. Um, he, he has the Ben. I can't really argue with the, with the finalists. It's what Barkov, Bergeron, and Stone. Um, I, I don't know which one of those guys I'd take out to put Crosby in. Um, and then same with the Hart. Uh, what is it? McKinnon, McDavid, uh, Matthews? Yeah. Yeah, I. It's hard to it's it's just hard to argue that. And a lot of a lot of these are like reputation awards. But at this point, I mean, like Bergeron's probably going to win it. But he's been a finalist how many times? Like in a it should in a just row be now? renamed for him, shouldn't it? Yeah, I could. I I swear. I think. Yeah, like it should a, be renamed the Bergeron he's Award. He's won it four times, and I think he's been in like a finalist ten times. So, um, I mean, he 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 has legitimately earned it. But I think, you know. Later in his in his career, you know, I, I think he's just gonna be a perpetual finalist no matter what. Um, and then, uh, I, yeah, I, the, the heart. I, I it's hard to argue which one of those guys I'd take out to put in Crosby. Now that one is different from the best player because that is more most valuable. And that one, I thought maybe Crosby could have been a, a finalist just because of you know like Malkin was out for so long and they had so many injuries and Crosby was uh, consistent in the year he had. But um, uh, I. I don't think it matters that much. Dave, just your thoughts on on, on, on the Hart and, and the Selkie. Uh, and uh, would Crosby, or were you surprised that Crosby was left off both? Uh, not shocked. I, I don't think he would have been out of place as a finalist for either. But I don't think it's an affront to humanity that uh, he didn't make the cut the, uh, either time. Uh, you know, he, uh, he certainly was worthy of consideration. And I suspect we'll, we'll find out when the final vote totals are, are announced uh, that he was not that far outside of the top three on, on both awards. Yeah. Uh, I know he, he made it onto my ballot, which, you know, you uh, include five candidates. Uh, 
on, on your ballot, and he made it onto mine for for both awards. Um, but you know, he could have turned up uh, fourth or fifth on a lot of awards or on a lot of ballots, and and that wouldn't have uh, been enough to get him, you know, into the top three. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I, I uh, maybe a little bit more of the Selkie. I thought he had a little more chance. I, I think the voters got it right on the certainly on the heart. Um, I don't think people talk about his defensive abilities quite as much, like 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 lead wide, um, quite as yeah. much as we do in in Pittsburgh. And like I said, a lot of it is a reputation award. I mean, Crosby's obviously good to a player, but. Uh, Selkie worthy. I just don't think he gets the attention he necessarily deserves. Selkie seems to be something that you get uh, two or three years after you first become a legitimate threat to, to yeah. win it, or after you should be a legitimate threat to win it. Um, and I really don't know how many voters take the uh, you know, the, the direction that you're supposed to be uh, for that the heart is supposed to go to the player, a judge to be most valuable to his team. I think yeah. a lot of people uh, voted as uh, simply the best player. Um, I don't know that it, this year in terms of the winner that it would make much of a difference. I think it's pretty much a given that that Connor McDavid will win both the you know the heart and the the Ted Lindsay despite the uh the differences in uh you know in the uh verbiage nature of the award. Yeah. Uh, but I mean like, like for Crosby he has a a shelf full of trophies already so I, I don't <laughs> think he'll miss adding a couple of others. Like, like looking at the voting last year, uh, some people had like Drysdale like number one and McDavid number two. I, I think if you're doing that, it, you're not doing it right because they can't both be the most valuable, you know, to the team. Yeah, good um, point. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I guess yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the how the voting turns out. Uh, one more award that should be coming out. We are taping this on Thursday. Uh, I would think the Jack Adams is getting close to being announced. And uh, would either of you be surprised? If, if Mike Sullivan's name uh, was left off, again, this is a regular season award. Uh, if Mike Sullivan's name is left off, uh, Taylor? I, it, it's hard to say. I, I, I think he should be a finalist. Um, I mean, something that, you know, people have to look at when, when voting for that award is, you know, what the team had, the adversity the team had to deal with throughout the year. And, I mean, for the Penguins, um, once again, I mean, I, th I think they finished as the, the league leaders in um, uh, man games lost. So uh, being able to get through that and then to win the division the way they did, um, I think you have to, to, uh, to consider that. And, and that, that is being announced Friday. So people might know this by the time. Um, Dave, you, right. You, uh, Dave, you've mentioned earlier about reputation awards, and sometimes it takes guys a couple of years to – to finally win an award uh, that they were really good at the, the previous couple of years. Mike Sullivan hasn't had a long coaching career in Pittsburgh. It goes back to December 12th of 2016 has never been a finalist for this award. Um, does that surprise you? And if he were left off again this year, given what Taylor just described would, would that wouldn't be maybe even a little bit more surprising than Sidney Crosby not being on the harder Selkie finalists? Uh, probably a bit. I mean, this year it's really tough to 
assess. And it, it's worth noting that uh, the Jack Adams is voted by the league's broadcasters, uh, right. not, not the writers. Um, but I think a lot of people tended to operate within their own divisional bubbles this year. Uh, that you weren't as aware of things going on elsewhere in the league as, as you would be in a typical season, only because, you know, games were contested exclusively inside of the, the four divisions. Uh, so, you know, people in Los Angeles might not really have paid much attention to, to what Mike Sullivan did, uh, you know, in some, some very trying circumstances with, with the Penguins this year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I thought he had a really good year. Uh, every year you, you can make cases, I think for coaches of the year, I, I just, again, I think it's just amazing that, that he's never been, uh, uh, at least a finalist, but we'll see if, if, if that has changed maybe by, by tomorrow. Um, uh, the team that beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs this year, uh, the team that knocked them out in six games has done it again. Uh, the New York Islanders, uh, once again in six games, once again wrapping up a series at home in the Coliseum, uh, defeat the Boston Bruins. And uh, this is five playoff series uh, this team has won in the past three years uh, since uh, Barry Trotz came aboard and since uh, John Tavares said, sorry, I'm not staying. I'm leaving for what I think is greener pastures in Toronto. And I wonder, my question is, is to you guys is as this team continues to do well with a roster that I think we would all admit isn't as talented as some of the elite teams in the league. Do you start to think that maybe there's going to be some other teams in this league that look at this and say, maybe this is the way we should start playing. I know it's a faster league. It's all about speed and, and, and size isn't as, as, as important as it was uh, once the lockout came. And is there any concern that this starts to slip back to where we saw in late 90s and early 2000s of the dead puck era? And I'll throw also in Montreal, maybe not the same style of play, but here again, once, once again, the Canadians are upsetting teams in the playoffs with a lineup that a lot of people would say that's not a lineup that should be playing in a conference final. Uh, start with you, uh, Taylor, just as far as is there a trend here and are you worried that the, some teams in the league may start trying to play the way the Islanders and, and Montreal are playing? I mean, it is very much a copycat league, and I think in, in past playoffs, the teams that make a deep run, we do see kind of elements of what got them there. Um, picking up around the league. I, I, I don't know um, if it would be maybe quite as easy to replicate what the Islanders are doing. Um, so I, in, yeah, in that way, I, I'm, I'm not sure because so much of the league has been moving towards, you know, like speed and, speed and skill. So it wouldn't be, you know, quite an easy flip to um, the tight defensive structure the Islanders play with. And um, you no, no team is going to like replicate the fourth line they have. Uh, so that's, that's something that I think is going to stay unique to them, but uh, it, it's hard to say. We might, we might see teams maybe focus a little bit more on a defensive structure, tight defensive structure in, in their game, but 
not, I, I wouldn't say quite as far that you'd have to worry about a, a dead puck era. Dave, uh, let me throw one more uh, qualifier in here. The one thing that they have not been able to do is, is, is get beyond the second round. They, they lost last year to Tampa Bay. Now they get another chance at the defending champs. If they now knock off this team, the defending champs, does that even add more credence to, wow, these guys have a style that seems to be effective against uh, teams that have some, some decent offense? Well, that's quite an if. Yeah. Uh, oh, without yeah, question. Right. You know, and it, it's not exactly groundbreaking that, that good goaltending and, and strong defense can give a team with less talent, you know, a, at least a puncher's chance a, against a, a team that is more skilled. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that the uh, the Islanders are have introduced anything revolutionary here. I also wonder uh, whether they would have gotten past the Bruins if Boston's defense had been able to stay reasonably healthy. Um, obviously, that's... Uh, you know, dealing with injuries is part of the challenge of, of succeeding in the playoffs. But, you know, that was a, uh, you know, a, a big setback for the Bruins, the way they had to keep trying to uh, find capable bodies to play on their blue line. Yeah, but the Brandon Carlo injury, uh, again, I hate to keep bringing this guy back up into the podcast, but that also started with Tom Wilson's hit earlier in the year on Brandon Carlo. Uh, we wish him a speedy recovery. All right, uh, let's as we as we introduced on our last our last show, uh, we're going to have a player evaluation uh, for every show here in the summer of a different uh, of a different penguin. Uh, today, let's uh, let's 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 look at. Uh, Let's look at Mike Matheson's season. Mike Matheson was brought in here uh, in the offseason in a trade uh, involving Patrick Cornquist going the other way uh, to uh, the Florida Panthers. Uh, Taylor, we'll start with you. Overall, just his season, uh, was this a successful season? You, you, you had mentioned last, last show, should we go pass-fail? So was this a pass for Mike Matheson or a fail? It was a pass. Uh, for sure. I think, you know, he, he kind of had a rough start. Um, but I mean, what they earned, he and on, on the pairing with Cece, they earned those, uh, second pairing minutes. Uh, he, 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 he's good offensively, defensively. It's kind of like, you, you don't know what you're going to get on a night to night basis. Um, so, but I, again, if we're grading past sale, I think averaging it out, uh, pass. He's someone that, you know, I, I, we've talked about the expansion draft. I, I don't think they're going to lose a defenseman in the expansion draft, but he's someone I wouldn't want to see, to see go, um, based on what he was able to do. Yeah. He was, um, I mean, stepping up on the, on the second power play, just, I think if we're, if we're praising him, it's going to be mostly his offensive capabilities. Um, again, like I said, maybe defense, it depends on the night, but, uh, definitely pass. Dave. Oh, I think he had, you know, a, a pretty good bounce back year coming off a couple of very tough seasons in Florida. Uh, you know, his skating and offensive abilities are everything I think the Penguins could have reasonably hoped for. And, you know, he has shown the ability to play well defensively. I think he has to introduce uh, some more consistency to that aspect of his game. But I, I think he had a, uh, a pretty good season, and there's reason, I think, that they have to be optimistic that he can be even better in the future. 
I'll stay with you there, Dave, but just because on your last point, have we, and I know this is hard to predict, but is there more to his game? You mentioned the consistency. Is, is, the, is his ceiling higher than what, at least what he's shown here? I, I think so. I mean, again, if only because I, he's capable, like just about every player, of becoming more consistent. Uh, I, you know, I, if his uh, offensive game and skating are, are, are at their pinnacle now, that, that's fine. And they're at a, at a pretty lofty level at this point. Uh, I, he needs to be, you know, better in his own end on a more on a regular basis. But you know, I think that's that's well within uh, reason to expect that he's capable of that. If Taylor? I can add, yeah, if I yeah, can add please. to that, um, something Russ said at the beginning of the year um, was he, you know, he said his wife was expecting that he hopes to have more dad strength when the baby comes. Um, Mike Matheson had his first child five days ago, so. Uh, so there you go. Hudson Gray Matheson. Uh, Matheson is going to come in next season with dad strength. So uh, <laughs> that'll be a boost. All right. Good stuff. All right. Well, as we said, we, we'll continue on our player evaluations through the course of the year. But but when we come back, we're going it's anniversary time. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the 2016 uh, Stanley Cup run. And then in our third segment, we will have uh, f- former general manager and the architect of that cup, Jim Rutherford, is our guest. Six, stay with us. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised, we are going to kick around the 2016 Stanley Cup, uh, which was clinched on June uh, 12th against the San Jose Sharks. And this is one of those cups, much like the 2009 cup, where at midseason, I don't think people were as much worried about winning the Stanley Cup as possibly just making the playoffs. Uh, This was a team that was just floundering in in, in midseason, coming off a year where they were eliminated in the first round by the Rangers. And you were, at least I was starting to wonder if this team and this organization had kind of lost their way a little bit, unlike 2009, where at least they were coming off a season where they had been to the final. So you, you knew it was there. You knew the guys were young. Uh, Crosby is yet to really go through all the, the, the concussion concerns and stuff like that. But in 2016, that wasn't the case, that this is a team that did not start the season well. Uh, they would end up uh, getting rid of uh, Mike Johnson and they would make a hell of a run uh, uh, to win what was their third Stanley Cup. So let's start with there. Do you, do you see the similarities, uh, Taylor, uh, in, in just how those that season in the 2009 season ended up with uh, having to make coaching changes and really make the strong run down the stretch? Yeah, I I think um, the the – Coaching changes. I mean, the circumstances are a little bit different. Like in 2015-16, Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson never really belonged at this level in the first place. So it, I think it was it was super clear that you know that was um, the big issue. Uh, Sullivan. I mean, he hadn't even been in Wilkes-Barre that long, so he was kind of at least an unknown in the organization. He had coached in the in the league before, but um, to see him come up and at least provide a spark following Johnson, I don't think that that was that surprising. Um, I, I can't really speak to the 09, the 09 one. I was in 
Um, I think I was 14. <laughs> so, like, I, 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 I don't remember it as quite as well. Um, but uh, I, it, it is, uh, yeah, like, similar for the reasons you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Every time I saw Mike Johnson, I, 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 he looked like to me looked like a televangelist. He no, just, you know what he looked like um, when you watch the movie Titanic. The captain, when he's uh, accepting that he's going down with this ship, the scene where the <laughs> where the where the glass breaks and the water starts flooding in, that face the captain makes is literally dead on to the face Mike Johnson had twenty four seven on the pension. <laughs> Dave, uh, what what to you to, to you what were the attributes that, that that Mike Sullivan brought in here that allowed him? to kind of get this thing turned around. Now, he does lose his first four games, but once he gets going, it, it really starts to flow. Well, I mean, he, he seemed to connect with, with the players, which is something that Mike Johnson never did. Mike Johnson was actually a very nice man and a very knowledgeable hockey guy, but he was not cut out to be a head coach at, at the NHL level. Um, Mike Sullivan, you know, uh, really was coming off a, uh, you know, he, he had kind of had to reestablish his, uh, his reputation in the game. He had a personnel job with the, with the Blackhawks and then uh, was hired as the, uh, the coach of the Penguins farm team in Wilkes-Barre. But as mentioned earlier, was only there for a few months when he was uh, summoned to the parent club. And after a bit of a rough start, uh, as I say, he really did seem to connect with his players. He seemed to be able to draw out the, the best in them. They, they really took to the speed and skill-oriented style that, that he liked. Uh, it was, uh, it was a, a very good uh, match of, of you know, coaching styles and personnel. This, this if I go, Mike Johnson, because we ripping Mike Johnson, he did. He, he is very good at the junior level. I mean, Dave mentioned he he's not he's not a fool, but he he did go back to juniors and he has he has been very successful in in his previous yeah. role. So he just didn't fit at this level. He's used to working with the young. He was with the Portland Winterhawks in the WHL, um, and that's where he returned to GM head coach. So working with those kids very different than working with you know. Crosby, Malkin, those guys. Yeah, it, it was. It's, it's, it was Sullivan's path is kind of weird in itself. He gets a shot in the NHL early on, and it doesn't go well. I think he was with Boston, if I if I'm correct. Correct. He, he had a short stint there, and then all of a sudden, he becomes this long term uh, sidekick to John Tortorella. Mm-hmm. He follows Tortorella around with the Rangers. I think he might have gone with Vancouver. He started with Tampa. And kind of is this Torts' sidekick, and okay, is he going to just be a career assistant coach? Well, no. As, as, as we mentioned, he gets the chance in Wilkes-Barre, comes up, and one of the guys who must have loved him right away is Sidney Crosby. This stat blows my mind. when I, I remembered looking at this up years ago, and it's still incredible. First 28 games of the 2015-2016 season, Sidney Crosby has six goals and 13 assists in like 28 games. Sullivan arrives afterwards. He finishes the season with 36 goals and 49 to six. What did he unlock? What, what did Mike Sullivan unlock? Or was it, uh, Dave, explain to me how a guy can turn it on like that. Well, he, you know, he kind of, a, Sullivan was able to restore guys' passion for, for their work. Uh, 
you know, it, it really is a, as simple as that when combined with, with the attacking style that, that he coached. Um, certainly Sidney Crosby didn't get uh, any more talented uh, yeah, because, right. because Mike <laughs> Sullivan was hired. But, you know, when, when you and, and the people around you are, are invigorated, uh, you know, it, it's not a shock if you're that that you might be able to uh, do your job more effectively, and uh, that certainly was the was the case uh, back in 2016. Jump in there, Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't covering the team back then. Um, I was in college for most of the season, so I can't really speak to what you know things were like in the locker room. Um, but yeah, it was it was just clear, at least from watching it from afar, um, there was just a different energy uh, in the whole team once he took over. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so in for me, 2015, 2016, uh, in our household, there were two titles uh, for for my wife. Obviously, we've I've mentioned her many times as a huge Penguin fan. She also liked the Cavaliers. And in this season, uh, two, uh, I guess, mercurial would be the right word. Uh, players are added to her teams. One is J.R. Smith, and if you know anything about basketball, J.R. Smith, tremendously talented player early in his career, but could just drive teammates and coaches to distraction with uh, off-the-court issues, with just not really kind of going with the flow and pulling on the rope. The Penguins bring in Phil Kessel, who in Toronto is probably – there's probably still swear, swear words about Phil Kessel. And yet Phil Kessel fits in beautifully at some point, maybe takes a while, but ends up being part of those two Stanley Cup teams and is loved here. Dave, my question to you, sometimes when guys get into a structure and they see really good players around them and they have a chance to win, do they start to maybe go with the flow maybe more than in places they did in the past? Well, I I think Kessel... You know, there was never any question about his skating or his nope. ability to shoot pucks. Uh, but, you know, he has a unique personality. Uh, <laughs> and I think he's one of those guys who is most comfortable in a supporting role. Uh, I yeah. think uh, the, the same is true to an extent of Evgeny Malkin. I think they've both benefited from being on the same team as Sidney Crosby, who was able to, you know, take a lot of the, uh, the attention and the responsibilities that might uh, normally have gone to some other high-profile players on a team and allow them to just go about, uh, you know, tending to their on-ice business, which uh, both of them did quite effectively. Taylor, your memories of Kessel's time here. I mean, obviously you, you at least covered him as even after the cup years, but uh, interesting cat. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I remember it was his last training camp here, and I, he he hates talk. He he hates talking with me. He made that clear, but he did at least try to have fun with it. I remember like one of the first questions, like, was you know, so what did you do this summer? And he just said, same old. Uh, I don't think we can swear on the podcast, but um, that's what he said. But yeah, just uh, very quirky, um, and I think just his whole vibe. I think he really. Um, he, he seemed like he belonged in Pittsburgh, if that makes sense. Um, I, I don't know if they can relate to Kessel, but he just, he just like in every, it, just a normal kind of guy. And he, I think Penguins fans really took to him. Um, 
And then what that was up before after the whole hot dog thing. It just everything about Phil, I think the fans latched on to. So um and then on the ice, obviously Dave pretty much uh you know covered that. But um what a what a playoff <laughs> performer. I mean, just over the years, what an incredible uh now I did maybe at the end here it didn't quite go as well, but still, I mean, you talk about a guy who would elevate in the playoffs. His playoff numbers are crazy. Um Obviously, we mentioned uh, Jim Rutherford's going to be on uh, our podcast here in a few minutes. Uh, Dave, the other thing about this season, if you think about it, just uh, the flurry of moves he makes. Uh, in Into the roster comes Benino. We just mentioned Kessel. Haglin, Daly, Schultz. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm still missing people that, that, that were added. I mean, I'm not sure if I remember a general manager making so many moves from the start of the season through almost to the trade deadline to get what he wanted right. Am I am I on the right track there? Well, it, Jim Rutherford was always very aggressive as, yeah. as a general manager in, in terms of you know being willing to make moves and, and take chances. Uh, he certainly, you know, made made some that that made that championship possible uh you know some of them were almost forced on him you know bringing in nick benino from vancouver was done at least in part because they couldn't afford to keep brandon sutter who was you know doing a pretty nice job as as their third line center during his time here uh but you know he he brought in guys who who fit in well with the style that uh mike sullivan coached as i recall Carl Hagelin was acquired on a, a game night in, in Tampa Bay, I want to say, about a month after uh, Sullivan took over, and certainly his speed fit in very nicely with, uh, with the way that Sullivan coaches. So, yeah, I mean, Rutherford deserves a lot of credit, and he gambled on Justin Schultz, who looked like a basket case uh, when he was with Edmonton. It looked like he was had just been rendered worthless and Rutherford got him for a, a third round draft choice and Schultz uh, came here and was a significant contributor for several seasons and uh, you know uh, played a major role in their Stanley Cups. All right last thing before we we, we, we have Jim join us uh, Taylor uh, whether it be the coach or the GM or maybe both huge call that they made in the playoffs uh Fans probably remember Flurry. I believe was concussed late in the season. Uh, they ended up. Matt Murray ends up by the game two or three ends up being the starter in the Rangers series. Dusts off the Rangers into the second round against Washington. And at some point, Flurry, your franchise goalie who's already won you a Stanley Cup, is ready to go, and they stick with Matt Murray. Uh, that was a huge call, and they seem to get it right. Your memories of that. Yeah, I mean, that was huge. I mean, that, that started off uh, Jeff Zatkoff, Mr. Game One, um, starting the yes. playoff. Um, and I, that that's, I think, how Penguins fans will always remember Zatkoff. But, yeah, once both um, Murray and Flurry were healthy, uh, Murray, it, 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 the way he was playing, it was just hard to maybe justify switching back to Flurry just because Flurry was the more established guy, the number one. I mean, Murray, he had, uh, I know he had a shutout in that year, and he had a, a, a 923 save percentage. I just pulled it up. It just, he, he, he was, he was outstanding that year. So, it, uh, that, it, it, 
I don't think anyone was arguing at the time really that they should have gone back to Flurry at least once Murray got going. Dave, Murray, Murray and Sullivan had forged a relationship together in Wilkesbury. They there were there together for you know just a few months, but that was enough time for Sullivan to develop a, a real confidence in, in Murray. And you know, I, I think that was the primary reason that he was willing to stick with Murray. You know, even after uh, Flurry did get over his concussion. Yeah, massive call, and it turned out to be the right one. Penguins go on to beat Tampa in seven games and then win the Cup, uh, beating San Jose. And in a minute, we will bring in the architect of, of that Cup run, Jim Rutherford. Stay with us on the 66 to 87 podcast. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised, we are joined by the architect of that 2016 title, uh, Jim Rutherford. Uh, Jim, one of the first things I wanted to ask you is uh, what compelled you uh, to make as many changes as you made that season, not only in the offseason, but even during the course of the year, you kept making some changes here and there. Why did you think you needed to make as many changes as you did? Well, coming off the prior year, you know, we um, we just made – we had 97 points, which was decent, but we just made the playoffs in the last game, and and it was my first year here. I learned more about the team and still felt that there had to be changes, you know, changes in the culture and, and a few things. I mean, like, it, it sounds kind of funny saying that because when you're with a team with Crosby and Malkin and Latang and Fleury and these guys – it sounds kind of odd because they had a lot of success and it was, it was a good team when I got here. So uh, don't take it the wrong way, but still felt in order to get to be a contender and to be able to challenge for the cup, we had to continue to change the makeup of the team. So there were uh, some changes in the off season. Uh, we got going into that, that year and, and we get off to a slow start and then that's that's really when a lot of changes were made, you know, bringing Mike Sullivan in, which was really the key to it all. And and then him being confident in the guys that he had in Wilkes-Barre and bringing that group of guys in. And that's uh, that's when it started to come together. Jim, why did you uh, Phil Castle? No one ever doubted his talent uh, or ability to put fill the net. But there were issues with him uh, in his previous stops. Why did you think it would work here when maybe it didn't have as much? He did not have the positive impact he may have had in in Toronto or maybe even Boston. Well, in Toronto, he was the guy, and the, all the focus was on him, and uh, and which which brings a lot of pressure. And I just felt that a guy with that kind of skill level. Um, you know, everybody talks about his goals and his shot, but, but he, he's one of the best playmakers in the league. And I felt putting him in with our group and just being one of the group, you know, being uh, one of the guys, not the guy, one of the guys, like the group of five or six we had, that that would take a lot of pressure off him. Now it's like any trade. I'm not absolutely sure it's going to work, but in your mind, you feel, you feel good about it. And I, I felt good about Phil. It was, it was a, it was a trade uh, of all the trades I made with the Penguins. It was the one that was hardest to make within our group because there were a lot of different opinions on whether we should bring Phil in. 
through our hockey ops, through people that had experience with them prior and just people that, uh, that weren't quite sure that that was the right thing to do. But we worked our way through it. We made the deal, and he was a key part of the cup, both cups. Jim, we, we talked earlier in our, in, our, in our show about there there are some similarities to the 2009 Cup in the sense that the team doesn't start off very well. There's a coaching change in the middle of the season, and then they make a great run. When did you realize, at what point in that season did you realize, hey, this team this team could make a deep run for the Cup? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I mean, we got to a point in the season that, everybody from the players to the coaches to myself we we were very confident in this team now that doesn't mean we're confident we're going to win the cup because a lot of things have to go right you have to have all the breaks and be healthy and all that stuff but we were confident that when we were healthy and going that we could beat any team and and the momentum kept going and going and going now sully and his coaching staff did a terrific job in the early stages of building that foundation uh, for for these players to do well. And then it got to a point, almost to a point, when we got to the playoffs, it was just roll the lines out there, no concern from Sully's point of view. Just roll whatever line was ready. It didn't matter who was up. And they were going, and regardless what happened in a game or if we lost a game that uh, – should have been a setback for us, you know. They they right back out with confidence, and once we hit the playoffs, we there there was really nothing stopping us at that point. Jim, we talked about the impact of the Phil Kessel trade, but was there maybe a particular player acquisition that year that just cemented the Penguins' status as a real title threat? Uh, maybe Phil or, or other than Phil. Well, every everybody played a role, you know. Like like it it wasn't necessarily the acquisitions although um it was the addition of the of the younger guys coming up you know the gunsels and the sheeries when they come up from wilkesbury with sully um a guy that you know is not necessarily known as a big impact guy uh from an offensive point of view but but fit a niche for us and kind of just fit into the team we know he he wasn't going to get rattled was ben lovejoy and I know, you know, we ended up trading a young defenseman for him to get him, but we felt we needed his experience. Um, I believe 16, and this was not an acquisition, but I believe in 16, that was the year that Zakoff played the first game of the playoffs, was it not? Yeah, Mr. Game 1. Correct. Yeah, Mr. Game 1, right. And that that was when Fleury got hurt. And there's there was a little concern, not necessarily within the players, but – I remember David Morehouse coming to me and saying, oh, man, this is such a bad break. And, you know, what are we going to do now? And and he was right. It was a bad break. But what we were going to do is keep playing and put a young goalie in and Matt Murray. And I, and I felt confident in him. And, and it was more about being confident because I went through that in in Pittsburgh, or in, uh, in Carolina in 06. When uh, when we had to turn to a rookie goalie, Cam Ward, partway through the playoffs, and and he carried the team right through. So that kind of gave me a good feeling, and gave me the confidence that another young goalie could do it. And as it turned out, Matt Murray did. You, you talked about Mike Sullivan's impact earlier, but do you anticipate that he could have had just such a quick and significant impact uh, that early on? And if you could talk to more about, um, you know, what what he did to have that kind of impact. 
Well, it was the system he brought in. And uh, and the system he brought in was, was one that the players liked to play. And uh, and so that was a good start to it. He, he made everybody accountable. It didn't matter who it was. He made that clear from the start. You know, if the top players struggled in a game or a couple of games, you know, they're going to be accountable for it. And, and he treated all the players uh, the same. But he had great communication with the players. Uh, they had great respect for him. And it just grew as each week went by and just kept snowballing into a point where, like I said earlier, uh, the players and the coaches had the confidence that it didn't matter what happened, we were going to win. Jim, you mentioned you were on a pretty good roll going into the playoffs and, and then through the early stages. Was there ever any point during that playoff run where you questioned whether the group was really good enough to win a cup? No. No. Never with that group. Once it had started rolling, I mean, obviously, early in the year, there was a question mark as to as to where we were going or whether we were even going to be a playoff team at one point in time. And that's when I made the coaching change and made, made some of those changes. But once guys fit into, into their own little niche and they were all confident that they were all part of the team and Sully was rolling four lines and playing six defensemen, and, and we were getting the goaltending we were getting, um, there, there, there was never any doubt that, uh, that we had a really good chance to win the Cup. Let's take you back to Game 6 in San Jose. Is there any moment during that game or after the game that uh, stands out as your most vivid memory? <laughs> well, the biggest memory always when you go to San Jose is the hanging up in the rafters to watch the game <laughs> from that press box. You, you, you're not even sure you're going to, that, that where you're sitting, it's going to be there by the end of the game. It just kind of hangs there. But, but we, um, you know, I, I guess the biggest moment is, is the final buzzer, you know, and the group, our hockey ops group up there, um, you know, my good friend, uh, Jason Botterill and, and Jason Carmanis and Billy Guerin and those guys, like when that uh, when that buzzer went to see the joy on their face, out alone my own, um, that was uh, that was a very special moment because from where we started that year to where we ended up, every one of those guys worked really hard to contribute in some way to make this team better, and uh, it was a it was a great feeling. And let me take you back to the, the days after you returned to Pittsburgh that year. Is there anything from the, the celebrations in the couple of days that followed the Cup that stands out to you? Oh, boy, there was a lot of celebrations. I mean, the, Peng the Penguins, you know, they're first class. They, they, they know how to, to handle these, these celebrations and situations and I guess because they've been through it before, they've had some practice. But the way we were treated and the way we were received by all the fans and everywhere we went, not just for the celebrations, but just out on our own with our families and things like that, it's its what I've said uh, all along from when I first came to, back to Pittsburgh to be a manager. It's just a very special place. It's a great sports town. and And to see... 
how much everybody enjoyed that. It was just, you know, it's just a fun memory. Well, Jim, thank you so much. Uh, Saturday is the official uh, anniversary of the that last win over San Jose. Five years. It's amazing how time flies. Uh, but, again, thanks to Jim Rutherford and, obviously, Taylor, ha Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. This is Tom Reed. Uh, another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast.